the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, it doesn't take very long for Israel to follow other gods, beginning a repetitive cycle of rebellion, correction, repentance, and deliverance. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 2 verse 11. Once again, that's Judges chapter 2, verse 11. Look at verse 11. And the children of Israel, this new generation, because they didn't have a relationship with God, they didn't love the Lord, they hadn't experienced all the things the other generation had. They hadn't seen the walls of Jericho come down. They hadn't seen the river Jordan dry up. And they hadn't experienced God's discipline for disobedience. This is these children of Israel, this generation, they did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served Balim. They didn't just compromise. This wasn't just an attitude of, well, I know this isn't what God said, but we've got it under control. They did open and outright evil by serving Balim. Now, the word they're served, it's the same word when it talked about worshiping the Lord. It means to give one's energy or devotion to a God. They began to give their energy and devotion to, it says here, the Balim. Now, anytime you have the word im at the end of these Middle Eastern languages, it makes it plural. The word Baal, it means Lord. So it says they gave their energy and their devotion to these lords that were out there. When you talk about the Canaanite pantheon, the Mesopotamian pantheon, it's not very uniform. Each city had its own lord. So like we'll, we'll come into passages in scripture where it says, and they worship Baal Peor. And that just means they worship the God of pure, whoever that was. So they had different gods that each city had. And these gods oftentimes had common names. But the point here isn't that they embraced a specific God or goddess. It's that this generation embraced whatever God they liked best instead of worshiping the Lord. Verse 12, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. You see, when we compromise, we devalue the word of God. And this lesson of that action, when you compromise and you teach a lesson that the word of God isn't that important, that lesson of action is taught far more powerfully than any children's class at church or family devotion at home. Way more powerfully. It's funny. Have you ever come upon your kids and they're playing with their toys or whatever, and they say things and you hear your own voice coming out of their mouth? 
It's always one of those horrifying moments when like the kids are playing with toys, whatever, and somebody's bad and you see them disciplining somebody and you're like, is that what I sound like? I need to repent. They learn from what they see us do better than any lesson that we might teach them with our words. Someone has said once that ministry is caught, it's not taught. And I find often that Christianity is very much the same, especially when we're trying to influence the next generation. They'll see our actions and know what we value based on that more than anything that we can say that we value. As our kids grow up, they see a world around them that seems fine without God and without God's ways. And so if mom and dad and others at church don't believe all of it's important, then why should they believe any of it's important? And when an entire generation grows up seeing compromise instead of seeing the value of trusting the Lord, God's commands don't become ways and paths of blessing. They become restrictions on life. And guess what happens? When you start weighing out the value systems of the Lord God with the value systems of these other gods, these other gods start looking a little bit more attractive. Oh, you mean I can, I can do this or I can do that? I don't, have to, I don't have to restrict myself here? Well, that sounds way better than this and this and this. And so they did that and followed these other gods and they provoked the Lord to anger. When we saw the previous compromises in Judges chapter 1, we saw at the beginning of chapter 2 that God sent the angel of the Lord to come and rebuke them, right? So the compromises brought the Lord's rebuke then because he wanted to show them mercy. He didn't want to discipline them. But this defiance against clear commands from Scripture, it couldn't be ignored. God had to do something. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, Pastor, I don't understand the big deal. What's the What's the big deal? They followed other gods. Is it really that bad? Well, the author of Judges gives us two examples of why it was so bad. Look at verse 13. And they forsook the Lord, and they served Baal and Ashtaroth. Now, these are just two of the gods that existed in the Canaanite pantheon, the various Canaanite pantheons that were there, but these were two very prevalent ones. We have good information on them. Now, Baal He was kind of the Canaanite equivalent of Zeus. He was believed to inhabit thunderstorms, and he was the one that was responsible for providing fertility. He was worshiped to ensure that you had good crops, that you had your your, your livestock produced healthy calves and whatever, healthy sheep. And he was also there to grant you a good sex life because everybody needs a God that gives you a good sex life. I'm always irritated and frustrated when I see Christianity books and pastors, you know, try to portray our God that way. And I'm not trying to downplay the importance of the intimate relationship within the confines of marriage. God did design it to be a wonderful blessing. The whole book of Song of Solomon talks about that. But I'm always a little irritated when I see the American view of sex. Like, for example, and if I offend you with this, please, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But I often we send our kids to these purity conferences, and, and you hear these teachers, they get up there, and they say, do you want to have rockin' hot sex when you get married? And I'm kind of like, listen, I'm going, is this really what we need to say to our 13-year-olds? I don't necessarily think that's what God's talking about when he talks about the blessings that come with purity, right? So these were things that the pagan gods were about. 
In the Ugaritic epic, the story of their gods, Baal is pictured as descending into the netherworld during the winter to deal with the underworld god Mont, because, you know, he just creates trouble every winter. And in order to bring Baal up in the spring, because he's busy down there dealing with Mont, so he could bless the crops and your livestock anew, the Canaanites would engage in these orgiastic worship services that included human sacrifice as well as sexual rites with sacred prostitutes. So when we sit here and go, what's so bad about these gods? Do I need to give you more details? The other goddess they worshiped commonly was Ashtaroth. These were two main deities that Israel constantly fell into idolatry with. And Ashtaroth, she was the Canaanite mother goddess of fertility, love, and war. Her real name was Ashtar, but what's interesting is the Israelites replaced the vowels of her name with the Hebrew vowels that said the word shame. Because what she stood for was incredibly shameful. She was one of Baal's three wives, known as the queen of heaven and the perpetual virgin, even though her primary function was to have sex with Baal in order to bring about the rains that guaranteed your good harvest. So to stir up the two to copulate, to bring this wonderful spring upon you and the rains and everything, worshipers would enter what they called Asherah groves. There would be these circular, sacred, almost like outdoor temples that were surrounded by these wooden phallic symbols, and then they would engage in their sexual rites in there to stir up the gods to get it going. And so that way they could have a good harvest and have good livestock. Now, hopefully I don't need to, again, explain any more about why this is not a good thing. But let's just hone in on a simple truth here. The Lord forbade these types of rituals and worship practices because none of us need to earn his blessings. We don't need to coax God to bless us. He blesses us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he's a good God. He doesn't need to be coaxed out of hiding to bring spring. He's ever present in our lives. He doesn't disappear. He doesn't go away. He's not busy handing other matters. But you know, when you preach a sermon to a group of people and you say, God's just good. He just loves you. It seems kind of simple and small. I'd much rather do something to guarantee something really cool in my life. And so as the Israelites were hearing the scriptures read, it it really didn't stir them up at all. It seems small compared to an invitation to a big sex party. Oh, yeah, I know it costs the lives of some babies, you know, on our sacrifices, but I'm not really worried about that as long as I'm getting what I want. To be frank, if that sounds familiar, well, that's because things don't change. We might not call abortion clinics or divorce courts regions of tribute to Baal and Ashtoreth, but they're pretty much the same thing. When we sacrifice kids who need love, who have a bright future in front of them because of our selfishness. We look throughout history and we see when the church forsakes the word of God and future generations reject the Lord, it's because They just were happier doing their own thing in their own minds. But there's been a heavy price to pay, hasn't there? I mean, look at our own generation. You know, I'm beyond blessed. 
again, that's why that song means so much to me because I'm like, God has been so good to me. I think about this. I had the privilege of sitting under one of the best Bible teachers ever in Pastor Chuck. God could have called me anywhere, right? I could have been born anywhere where I didn't have that blessing and that option. I had the blessing of being surrounded by godly teachers like Pastor Gibb around me who could mentor me and encourage me and challenge me and rebuke me when necessary. I have the privilege of being in a church where y'all bring your Bibles and you want to learn. Like there's numerous occasions where you could have just been like, Pastor Will, I'm done, man. You just talk too much. But I never get that impression. Y'all seem very eager to learn. You're here tonight. We're in the book of Judges for crying out loud. (laughs) It's not exactly something you go, you know what I've always wanted to do? (laughs) But here you are. I've been incredibly blessed. You have to understand that many people have gone to churches or had their religious experiences where they don't, they don't open their Bible. Pastor doesn't preach from the Word of God. You don't have the benefits that come with that. And so oftentimes we look at our culture and we go, why is the church, why is the church like this? Why is the church so divided? Or why is it so confusing at times about what the Bible actually says? It's not because the Bible's confusing. It's because we've forsaken the Word of God. And so everybody goes after their own lusts. They've created a God to suit themselves, just like the Israel did. And there's been a heavy price. God hates what happens to us when we do that, and it angers him, so much so that he had to take action with Israel. Verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them to the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them. And they were greatly distressed. You know, the word there, when it says that God's anger was hot, it doesn't mean this idea that God was fuming. That's not the point. The word there means to be aroused or to be kindled. And and the concept is, is that basically you got the fire going and all of a sudden it sparks and and you kind of feel the heat. And so the the concept, when it says that God's anger burned hot, God was angry every time they compromised. God's angry at sin every day, the book of Psalms tells us. But this causes anger to flare. In other words, to take action. He had to do something about that now. And so it says that he delivered them into the hands of spoilers. So this wasn't just military defeat. This was being conquered. He handed them over to invaders who would not just defeat them, but they would plunder them. That's what the word spoiler means. They would experience not just military defeat, but personal loss. And he sold them. It means to hand over or surrendered them into the hands of their enemies round about. So the first thing, the way that God disciplined them is by allowing invaders to come in. Now, when we look at this here and you go, wow, God sold them out. I mean, That's not the point. God didn't betray them. He didn't pretend to love them and then stab them in the back like Judas did with Jesus. He had Joshua warn them about not doing this. Then he sent an angel after Joshua died to tell him to stop doing this. God simply surrendered them to what they wanted, life without him, which included his supernatural protection from their enemies on their borders. And so, When God lifted that protection, things were wide open. 
And so we're going to learn about how the Ammonites came in. We're going to learn about how the Amalekites came in. We're going to learn about how the Midianites came in. And they invaded Israel and they defeated them and made them their tributaries. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. In other words, whenever they went out to battle, that's what it means. Whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. It doesn't mean wickedness, but the word here, evil, refers to just calamities, trouble, distress, defeat, you know? And people talk about how, you know, the Bible says God's not the author of evil, but then look at this here. This isn't the same evil we're talking about here. God is not the author of wrongdoing. That comes from us. But here it talks about God bringing trouble and calamity upon them. His hand was against them to be defeated. And that's very interesting because when we talk about the hand of the Lord, so many good things come from the hand of the Lord in Scripture. Like when we talk about the hand of the Lord, we see, his, you know, like for example, even in judgment, the Bible talks about in Revelation that his hand is stretched out still. His hand is this thing of mercy. It's a thing of blessing. It's a thing of goodness. Deuteronomy 33.2 says that the word of the Lord, God's word came from his hand. David said in Psalm 16.11 that God's hand contains pleasures forevermore. Other Psalms tell us that God saves and comforts by his hand. God doesn't want to use his hand to oppose his creation, but he will stop us if we persist in our disobedience and refuse to respond to his mercy. And so it was kind of like Samson. We'll get to his story later on. Remember Samson? How it says that when she finally cut his hair, he finally let the secret out and she cut his hair. And remember she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And what did Samson do? He got up like he had before, expecting that he'd still have the strength, even though his hair was gone. Israel went out to battle just like they did before, thinking, man, we've whipped everybody we've gone up against. This will be nothing. And then guess what happened? They lost. They lost They didn't realize their strength was gone. Israel went out to fight expecting victory like before, but the Lord's hand was against them and disaster resulted. And this shouldn't have been a surprise. Moses told them this is what God would do if they went after idols. So did Joshua right before he died. But here's the problem. This generation wasn't there for all those victories. And so they attributed all those victories to themselves, not the Lord. So they figured, well, We'll go out ourselves and we'll just go be victorious again, even without the Lord. And so it says they were greatly distressed. It was bad times. Now, if that's how the story ended, we we wouldn't be able to blame God because they did this to themselves. But praise the Lord, it's not the end of the story. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, in spite of all their unfaithfulness, despite the fact that they brought it upon themselves, got what they deserved, nevertheless, The Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those who had plundered them. He raised up judges to rescue them from those who had plundered them. Now, God didn't have to do that, did he? But it doesn't surprise us because it's who he is. You know, 2 Timothy 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Isn't that an awesome promise? just who he is. He's faithful, you know? Do you realize how awesome the Lord is? Do you see why we need the King of Kings? We need the King of Kings because no leader, no matter how good they are, compares to him. You know, God raised up these judges, but ultimately it was not the judges who saved them. It was the Lord who did it because he's faithful. 
And the truth is, he's the only one who can keep us on course for eternity. Verse 17, even though God did all this, and yet they wouldn't listen to those judges, but they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. Even though God was faithful when Israel wasn't and he rescued them from these plunders, Israel only went farther away. They would not listen. They would not obey, listen to or obey these judges that God raised up who rescued them. See, they would follow the Lord for a time under the direction of the godly judge, but not with their whole heart. And so once that judge was done, the cycle would start all over again. It says they would go a whoring after other gods. The word there, it's a powerful word. It means to be unfaithful through prostituting yourself. So this is not just adultery. This is not just about a fling because, you know, you got caught up in your passion or whatever. This is about selling yourself to a person in order to get something in return, payment in return. See, they weren't content with the Lord and simple faith just to be loved by him and to know that he would take care of them. That wasn't good enough for them. And so they offered their lives to these other gods in order to earn the favor of these other gods and all the pleasures that came with it. And you know what's crazy? God isn't lamenting that they failed or stumbled. It's that they did it so quickly. They did it so quickly. They disregarded his mercy and goodness like it was nothing, all in exchange for the promise of immediate pleasure doing what's right in my own eyes. In the end, being their own God. And while this broke the Lord's heart, every time they did this, these cycles, going from idolatry then to prostituting themselves, while it broke the Lord's heart every time they did this, the Lord didn't forsake them. He remained faithful, and he looked for any reason to show them favor again, even if it was just one faithful person. Look at verse 18. And when the Lord raised them up, judges, then the Lord was with the judge, even when he couldn't be with the nation. He was with the judge. And he delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. Why? For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. This this verse right here is one of those verses that, like you should put on a fridge somewhere. I mean, I know it's not beautiful in its wording. You know, you don't usually like to put the word vexed on your fridge, you know. But, but the concept here is amazing when you really break it down into its parts. It repented the Lord because of their groanings. In other words, why did God do this? Why? God was looking for any reason to rescue them. Why? Why did he raise up a judge? Why did he stick with that judge even though the rest of the nation may not have been faithful? Because it repented him when he heard their groanings. The word there to repent is not the word we think of when we think of like changing our mind. God doesn't change. The word here means to be in a state of sorrow or grief over what a person is going through. Like have you ever seen somebody that's just going through it and your heart just breaks for them? So God allows discipline to come into the eyes, allows these invaders to come in. And then Israel goes out to fight in their own strength and they just get defeated and they become kind of, maybe not slaves necessarily, but they become enslaved in a sense to the, to the cruelty of these other nations who have power over them now because they defeated them militarily and they've plundered them. And so their lives are miserable. 
And God hears their groanings. He doesn't even say their prayers. The word here for groaning means a nonverbal, guttural noise of great pain and suffering. That noise you make when you're just, your gut is just killing you and you can't, ah, you know? God is listening to the pain and suffering they're going through and it breaks his heart. He just, it breaks his heart. So it's not like God even does something because they go, oh God, we blew it. Will you please forgive us and rescue us? No. It wasn't prayers that moved God's heart. It was seeing what an awful situation they were in. The initiation is from God, not Israel. And so he looks for some reason to rescue them. And when he finds one faithful person, these judges, it's enough. It's enough for him. You know, what's really cool about that is it paints a beautiful picture because there's only one faithful person that the Lord has to see to forgive us, right? And it's his son, Jesus. That's all it took. One perfect sacrifice, one godly man. You know, one person that he could say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Can't say it about Adam or any of his descendants. But this one, this one son of Adam, I can. And that's good enough for me. His sacrifice, I'll accept. And if you'll receive his sacrifice, I'll embrace you and forgive you and raise you back up. Isn't that awesome? Do you see how much the Lord loves us? Even though they did this to themselves, he's the one who's broken when he sees their pain. And that's the same heart that he has for you, even when you're doing your own thing and experiencing the troubles that come from that. And you want to know the even crazier part? God did it every time, knowing that they turn away from him again. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.